The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. I've thought about this. You can't buy a Galapagos tortoise because it's endangered, but there is something that looks very similar to a Galapagos tortoise. Uh, It's like three quarters the size that is legal. I would buy that, and then I would just glue rabbit pelts to the shell. Then look at that. Now you got this fuzzy turtle running around your backyard, and maybe you could put a drink tray on it for when you have parties. This is a great cold open. Justin Robert Young joining me for the first time in my studio in person and the first time on like actual mics uh, uh, in person. It is Jen Briney of the Congressional Dish. Yay. Happy to be here. And Andrew Heaton of the Political Orphanage. I'm delighted to be back. Thank you for having me. I have topics. Oh, okay. I have topics. Were you going to tell us these? (laughs) I'm coming in real cold on this. Does it require research? Uh, No. Okay, good. I feel like this is also a difference between you and I, where I'm very excited to go into things with no research, and you are terrified by it. I'm I'm absolutely terrified by it because it, it'll be like am. it'll be some bill about like the the Minnesota bus department wants to have coupons for LGBTQ people, and I'll have a hot take on it, and then everybody will get mad at me because I haven't properly researched it. I've staked out a position, and I'm terrified. I hate that kind of thing. When has that ever happened to you? Um, you know what? I did. Uh, I did an episode. <laughs> you don't seem like somebody that would ever formulate a hot take on something that you haven't read through. I did. I did partially do it about a month ago. I did a roundtable with uh, WSPN and talked about the don't say gay laws in yeah. Florida. Yeah. I had read synopses of them in the week. I had yeah. not read the bill itself, a la Jen Briney, nor had I done a tremendous amount of research. And I managed to piss off everybody. Like I pissed <laughs> off the conservatives and the progressives that listen to the show. Although I will say everybody that wrote in was very polite about it. They all like said, hey, I think you misinterpreted this, so on and so forth. Terrified me. Didn't like it. I don't mind. I don't mind getting in trouble for something. So that, there we go. But that you did research there a little, I, a little bit. But it, but again, this is like an hour. Now we're going to roll in with no research. Re, no research. Yeah. yeah. And clever, I don't mind getting in trouble. I just want to. I, I want to know why. Right. Like if I'm going to get in trouble, I want to be like, yes, because I took this position and I stand by that position. I don't want to shoot from the, the hip. The biggest thing that's ever been said about you on this program or by a listener to this program is Andrew Heaton is an out of touch elitist, uh-huh. but he's our out of touch <laughs> <laughs> That is the meanest thing that has ever the I, most, the most uh, 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 virulent criticism that has come in. Ju- just as listener, if I ever run for office, I am going to make that my campaign slogan. Uh, Andrew Heaton, he's <laughs> Our out of touch elitist, absolutely a hundred percent. We do, we do have to start with this preamble, uh, uh, Jen. Though that uh, the last time we talked, we were all uh, scoffing with our noses in the air that uh, the State Department was absolutely overblowing this Russia is going to invade Ukraine threat and two and a half months into the land war in Europe. Uh, 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 we got it wrong. Yeah, may I just say. A whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, we got it wrong. Sorry. It happens. Yeah. It happens. We're, we're not good at predicting the future. Who who would have thought that crystal balls don't work? Yeah. As it as it turns out. So there we go. Uh, 
these were sent in by the 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 Twitch audience that I have. Uh, Twitter and Elon Musk <laughs> purchased by uh, uh, the the billionaire, or at least announced that it was purchased a couple days ago, uh, and yet inexplicably, this is the top political story of yeah. the week. A, a a billionaire buying Twitter, uh, you know, a social media company changing hands between two different parent, uh, parent companies is the largest political story. So let me just start here. Jen, why? Why do you think that this is cared about as much as it is cared about uh, amongst the, the political class? I think it's because the political class uses Twitter to communicate yeah, with each you. other. So they're seeing their playground being taken over by Elon Musk. And you know how Twitter is. Twitter just in general is like, ah, something happens. We have to freak out. So there's that. Plus it's their, they're, they're concerned. I don't really understand why they're so concerned. Um, but I do think that is the, re- it's a thing they use. The fascists are coming. That's why. You know, all the fascists are now going to get on Twitter and, and now they're going to ruin it. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been watching the Democrat. I mean, I'll just I'll say it like it is. I've been watching the Democratic Party in particular, pushing really hard for private companies to do the censorship that the First Amendment doesn't allow the government to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think the fact that it's Elon who really doesn't answer to any of them. um their censorship push is not going to be as effective with this person in charge because they seem to think that the way you deal with ideas you don't agree with is to take them off the internet. They think these ideas are dangerous instead of having better ideas and going for debate where I think Elon based on everything he says, although he does tend to be a hypocrite in a lot of different ways. So I don't know if I trust anything, anything he says, but he does seem to feel like we should all have the platform to say whatever we want to say. And unless it's truly dangerous, as in I am going to shoot this person, meet me at this address with a gun, like that's dangerous speech where a lot of the stuff that we are calling dangerous misinformation, disinformation, it's opinions essentially. So I think the people that are pushing for censorship, um, I think they're concerned that they're not going to be successful in those efforts with Elon in charge. Would, would you agree that things I, are I, censored, censored more uh, on uh, from, from left leaning circles than right leaning circles on Twitter? Uh, sure. I, I think I agree with everything that Jen just said. Um, I, I think the reason that it's a big political story is because this is the equivalent of a billionaire buying the building that has the press club in it and everybody in the press club inferring that this is major news for everybody else. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, Jen, that there's sort of a dividing line when it comes to free speech between people who think of ideas pathogenically as as something that infects people and spreads and must be lanced lest it it infect others versus people that think of ideas as ideas that are best countered by better ideas and argument that comes from the the liberal tradition of which I hail. Uh, And uh, Elon Musk appears to be such a person that wants to have that um, that open style of discourse and systems there. Uh, Yeah, I I think particularly on Twitter, um, the the impulses of self-censorship appear to be coming from the left more than the right at the moment. Um, I'll say the only problem I really have with this, uh, having 
not looked into it in, in great detail, is I, I am disappointed that this is what Elon Musk is spending $44 billion on. Because mm-hmm. I like Elon Musk. I, like, I'm kind of like, there might be some shady stuff I'm unaware of, but so far I'm like, so he's the richest man in the world because he builds goddamn rockets and electric cars? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Great. Thanks, dude. Like, yeah, build that Mars base. Building a Mars base is exactly the kind of thing I want eccentric plutocrats to do. I want them to build Martian bases, right? So him taking $44 billion and buying what is effectively a big online dive bar where people throw bottles at you and is at most useful for coordinating flood relief or on the ground reporting in Ukraine, but just no value to the average person normally. I'm like, could could we have built a moon base for $44 billion? Because that would have been super cool. I would rather he do that. I guess that that is that is the question is exactly how much of the town square, quote unquote, is Twitter. And the argument for is that it is unquestionably where journalists not only go to get validated by other journalists, because from the perspective of being a journalist, it's a ego depleting field. It sucks. The The reality of being a journalist is calling people who don't want to talk to you often at their lowest moments and hanging up on you and calling you names. So to invent a website where you can go on and yes, somebody's going to throw a bottle at you, but your peer can say, great work. Mm. You are a great, important part of society is invaluable. So journalists will be on Twitter forever for that reason. But beyond that, it's also become a huge reporting tool. And there's a whole podcast in the idea of whether or not that is good or bad, that seeing things on Twitter, coming up with story ideas on Twitter, using tweets as uh, sources, things that you are building an article around, whether or not that's good or bad. But there is no question that it happens. And there's also no question that Twitter is used as the gauge for whether or not something is good or popular or well-received. So Elon is not buying a media company in the way that Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post and billionaires have been buying news agencies forever. He bought the place that programs their media agencies. And so like in that vein, you're like, this is very important. We should have uh, more of an open dialogue for things to to be out there if everybody's going to be fishing in this lake. The other side is it's Twitter and people make the same a shrimp fried this right uh, rice joke every two seconds. It, it's half the time it's Laurel Yanny or uh, uh, dumb stuff or memes on memes on memes on memes on memes. And and it is a, a very silly place like Camelot in Monty Python. So I don't find it to be a silly place. I actually find it as a very valuable tool for me and has been since I started using it like a decade ago, but it has changed fundamentally from how I started using it. So one of the reasons that I loved it and got so addicted to it is back in the day, you were seeing what the conversation was in the world at that moment. It was chronological and all of us had it chronological. So if everyone was watching the Grammys, we were all watching it together. And if there was something that was going on in the world, like um, that Japanese tsunami. Yep. I just, yeah. And I just remember like Twitter was amazing in that moment because you were finding this news in real time. And it was, if you were looking for that particular hashtag for that news, you just, you saw it all come at you. Um, It was amazing. And I miss that Twitter so much. What has changed and why I think people are super concerned or excited. There's a lot of people excited that Elon bought it, but 
the algorithm has changed Twitter fundamentally. So now like my feed, I'm seeing tweets from people that they tweeted this 17 hours ago, but the algorithm thinks that I really need to know what Glenn Greenwald says, no matter when he says it. And it's, it's annoying to me that whoever in Twitter is making these decisions about what we see, there's a lot of power in that curation. So I know that I am unhappy what with what I've seen on Twitter. And I do, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. I never want him to be president again. However, the fact that he was banned from Twitter for life and that there's been a lot of bannings and tweets being taken down and just the direction that it's going, I think that that's been problematic. And I think Elon Musk, who... I, I don't know what Elon Musk is thinking and I'm but one thing that he did say that I found encouraging because I've watched all these hearings and it seems like the people that are being called into Congress as witnesses, the solution that a lot of them are coming to coming from the people that I find the most reasonable, they're saying that the problem isn't with censorship. Like you don't have to censor, but these algorithms are an issue. And one of the ways that you can solve that is just being very transparent about what the algorithm is so that if you are a journalist, you at least know what you need to do to either increase your voice or what you're doing that is getting you punished so that if there are rules, you at least know what they are. Right now, it's all completely a black box. And one of the things Elon has says is he wants to make the algorithm transparent. Open source. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, as someone who owns all these different businesses and there's all this reporting and like the reporting affects his bottom line in a lot of different ways, I could see him maybe seeing this as a good investment to get algorithms that make sense for everyone so that so so that I don't know, so that either bullshit or I don't I don't understand how Twitter is deciding what we see and what we don't, but there's clearly a problem with it. And so I don't really have a conclusion. I guess that's uh, all I, I, I want to I say. Like so, so the thing people are freaking out about is that Elon Musk wants to ensure a culture of freedom of speech and the ability for people to participate in Twitter and reveal the transparency of this algorithm and this is the prelude to fascism well this is where we get into the fact that there are two americas where uh when when you hear free speech you think oh free speech is the absence of undue censorship and yeah. while absolute free speech even in our laws is not permitted mm -hmm. fire in crowded theater yeah, and all li that. Uh, libel slander exactly yeah uh there is still the the, the idea is what are we banning and and we're going to have very serious discussions about it and then go there. Free speech to a certain segment of no doubt our listeners that are listening to this right now is open season harassment and uh, a free speech maximalism to the point where everything becomes 8chan. Everything mm. becomes the worst. Which, which doesn't sound fun. That like yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm broadly on the pro speech side. Uh <laughs> I shouldn't say, but I'm, I'm definitively on the pro speech side. Yeah. Uh, that said, though, like I much prefer Reddit over Twitter, largely because Reddit is self-governing. Like if you go into a board, there are mods. They make sure that the no, dickheads are cut why. out. That is exactly yeah. why. It's because yeah. the problem with Facebook and the problem with Twitter is that they only have admins and they don't have mods. And all of these lessons, by the way, have all been learned in fights on message boards that have happened since the moment the Internet started. Somebody somebody uh, got into a, a, a fight, got way too spun up. Everybody else at their 
terminal at whatever research facility they were at were like, why is Doug so pissed off? Because he got into a message board flame war with somebody else that was on the proto internet. And that is the lesson that we are constantly learning. And the lesson is if you have mods, volunteers who are trying to mop up for your specific community, Mm -hmm. everyone still hates them. It's a thankless job. God bless everybody who volunteers as a mod anywhere. But at the very least, they come, they go, they make capricious decisions, they make good decisions, and the world has these tiny controlled explosions. When you only have admins, the people that are running the site, then they can only make very broad decisions. They're they're relying on algorithms rather than actually catching. And they're there forever, right? So Facebook doesn't have mods. Twitter doesn't have mods. Uh, they are they are an admin only thing. Reddit, for as great and terrible as it is, you know, there are some sites on Reddit that are disgusting. And uh, there are others like we both do Orange Theory. There's an Orange Theory subreddit that is just delightful. Yeah. It is just very helpful people leaking what the next day's workout is. And, yeah, and there's, people there's saying, I just uh, I'm back from my baby and I've lost uh, uh, 10 pounds. And, and we all clap and we say, hooray for you, Sandra. Like, yeah. it's just a nice place because they have good mods. This is this is a dumb question. Could you have mod like I know that Twitter doesn't presently have this, but you, you can have a list on Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, could you have a list that has mods on it? So, for, for example, not just in terms of the people being jerks thing, but I have a list or I used to have a list of of comedians who are actually funny on Twitter because in 2016, everybody lost their mind and all the comedians became unpaid pundits and quit being funny. So I had to like create a list of just, if I want to see funny stuff, I go to these people. People still making jokes. People, people still making jokes rather than giving their hot take on yeah. why university, whatever the thing is, right? Um, could, could you have something like that where the broader ecosystem for Twitter is this giant mosh pit, but there are these subgroups within it where you enter it and there are mods governing it? Is right that now, possible? Right now, no. Okay. Right now, no. But who knows? Who knows what Musk wants to make out of out of Twitter? But I do want to give voice to the idea that uh, there is a thought that free speech maximalism means Q. Hmm. It means these these dangerous things, including former President Obama, who just said that the new focus of his foundation is going to be the fight against misinformation. Exactly. And I still cannot get over the fact that regardless of who it was that the people at Twitter decided to silence the main communication that was used by the president of the United States while he was still the president of the United States, the amount of power that that had over like the president is supposed to be the most powerful person in this country. And we, as the citizens should be able to hear what this man thinks. And the fact that on January 6th, they shut him down and he's never been allowed to come back. I mean, even if they wanted to shut him down after January 20th, okay, but like he was still president for 14 more days and he wasn't able to effectively communicate with the American people. I'm just so fundamentally disturbed by these unelected people having that level of power. So you think that Twitter rises up to that level, that it rises up to the idea of you are fundamentally hampering the communication between the president and the people. Yes. Even though he has television and radio, you can always put out a press release. Like there are other ways you can do it, but Twitter means that much. I do think so, especially because it's the place where the journalists and the reporters and it's where we all hang out. Um, You know, there's there's the it's just the reality of it that we have these different ways of communicating now. Newspapers are by the time they show up on your doorstep, they're already old. 
So all the breaking news happens on Twitter. I think it is an important place. Now, am I comfortable with the idea that it's now one man who I think is kind of a loon is now in charge of it? Not really. Like my problem, I'm, I'm with you, like $44 billion. If Elon Musk could just pick a fucking project, he could make such a difference. You could give dolphins half- thumbs and voice boxes and things. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. But he half-asses everything, right? Like he does, he I does mean, some space. Half-ass. Um, I feel like $44 billion, if he was really into electrifying our car fleets, like he could have personally installed charging infrastructures, not only for his Teslas, but for all of us that drive electric cars. He could have fundamentally changed our society and instead he bought Twitter. Hmm. So he's doing all these different projects. That seems a little like we are we are picking and choosing what to do with the billionaire's money. Well, yes. I don't understand why one man, why we have now structured a society where one man gets to decide what is done with $44 billion. Like, I think that's a sickness with our economic system. Capitalism. Yeah, that one person has that much power that he's now going to control Twitter in addition to being the Tesla yeah. guy and he's now NASA and like, why are we allowing one we, we, person we to take the money? He didn't defend capitalism. Go. Right. Well, he, he did just pay the largest tax bill in all of American history. I don't care. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the general theory is that it's not that money is collective. It's private. And we're taking some amount of your money to fund public services and things, but it's not that like if, if you suddenly create a service out of nothing, like, say, uh, Microsoft or Apple, that that just automatically becomes a public utility or that the money you earn is owed to everybody else. Um, I, I think we should have a government. We should have social services. But but I, I want them to be um, something that is a pool we all put money into. The idea that just if you become wealthy, we're just going to take your stuff and use it. I, I don't even think is moral. I also don't think it's a very good idea. Like the idea. It's also not what I said. Uh, why should why should any one person have forty four billion dollars they control? He has way more than 44 right. billion dollars billion, I mean yeah. he was able to just buy Twitter and still have many many it, billions it, it, it actually took I mean th- there is some fairly I think intelligent analysis on this deal that basically says based on the 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 financing that he had to pull out for this that Twitter just to make the the, the deal work will have to make more money than it is currently making uh, and also, or it will continue to bleed him. So it's like, this was not like, yes, he is quote unquote worth X amount of money. The vast majority of that is tied up in stock or private holdings that are not liquid. So it's like, yeah. he did have to do a little, a little soft shoe to, to make 44 billion work. It wasn't like he just pulled it out of PayPal. No, I get that. But like, I think the bigger picture that I'm struggling with is that we do have the Washington post, owned by Jeff Bezos. We do have now Twitter controlled by by Elon Musk. I just feel like we have allowed such extreme wealth concentration that we now have legit oligarchs. And I think that's what's making me uncomfortable about all this. Now that's a problem with the media. It's always been a problem, but it's it's I think it's getting worse. I think that the because it's not just a media oligarch. This is someone who is an oligarch in a bunch of different industries now. But I'm, so I'm not required to so read the control. Washington Post, right? I'm not required to go to Twitter. I am required to work with the government when the government gives me orders. I mean, that's that's one of the fundamental distinctions here is when you have these institutions under the control of the government, it's there's no opt out clause uh, like this is now law. You must do as the government says. You don't have to read the Washington Post. And then in, in terms of just the resources, the material allocation we're talking about, I think that probably 
probably Elon Musk and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are going to be better stewards of resource allocation than Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. I don't think they know what they're doing. I think people that for a living are making money and making investments probably know how to grow that economy better than bureaucrats. But here's the difference. You're not like born a bureaucrat. You you become a politician because your community, your state has elected you. Mm -hmm. Right now, we have someone controlling a major town square who has been elected by no one. So I understand not trusting Chuck, Chuck Schumer, but New York does have the option to elect someone who is more trustworthy. The point is they're elected. There is no election that is happening with these people that are controlling very important parts of our society. I respectfully disagree. I think the point is that you can't opt out of government. You can't opt out of private business. You can't opt out of private media. So while you have somebody that has been legitimized through the democratic process, we're not allowed to enter or leave that process at will. Whereas we are with private companies, we, we can decide to go to that public square or I can go to Facebook or I can go to Telegraph or whatever, but I can't do that with the Senate. I have to do what the Senate tells me. But like if we're talking about Twitter here, I don't even think a suggestion has been made that we turn it over to government. I'm just uncomfortable with the idea that it's now in the hands of one person. Like you had a pretty good idea, Justin, with having mm -hmm. moderators like there's different ways to structure this and leave it private mm -hmm. without having it be the playground now of Elon Musk. Fair. And that's my my big problem would be um, having the government run it as a, as a utility or an institution where where it is actually run by a collective entity by force of law. If we're coming up with some alternate system where that coercive element is absent, then that might be better. I might like that. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying to nationalize it in any way. Sure. It's just I wasn't. My apologies. Part, part I jumped the gun, Jen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I you, you my my neoliberal Barry Goldwater no, I, things my, flared up. My fault. I said the C word and it got heat and standard yeah. all yep. the way up. And then he's just like, uh, you know, full throated screaming, mm -hmm. you know, he showed his Margaret Thatcher tattoo. Yep. And, you know, now it's uh, <laughs> yep. Now, Your now face did mess. like we've never been in the same room. Your face like changed. It was like economics. Let's go. Let's go. Yep. <laughs> Well, here, let's talk about something that you are very, very uh, passionate about, uh, climate change. Okay. So, right now, we are facing a situation where inflation is the only good news as far as the White House has when it comes to inflation is that it has been going up now for over a year. So they're no longer going to see the headlines of the year on year raise on inflation is the worst in 35 years because uh, it will have already gone up. So there'll be gigantic spikes, but they just won't be statistically the same headlines. But one of the things that I'm curious to talk to you about as somebody who very much cares about climate change is when inflation becomes a problem, almost everything gets uh, uh, put to the side. But specifically issues that involve trying to guide the behavior of a populace by way of either price controls or tax increases like a lot of the uh, parts of the Green New Deal and other climate change initiatives are based on. Do you think that inflation, at least in its current iteration, is going to set back whatever progress had been made toward uh, popular climate change legislation? No, because there hasn't been any climate change legislation, nothing that's real, anything that. The, so I'm in the middle of reading the infrastructure law. So maybe something will su surprise me. But I kind of looked at the I energy. Doubt I doubt it because I did while it was still a bill. Yet it was the final version. So it was the correct version. But I did look at the energy sections first. And there are major investments in essentially hydrogen as a way to keep the gas industry going because it requires gas to be made with fossil fuels in certain 
instances. And we're talking investments of billions of dollars. So this is not a climate bill. And what the Democrats were always going to do was pair this bipartisan infrastructure thing with their build back better, which does not exist. So all of the stuff that they ran on that was supposed to be for climate change has not been enacted. They seem to have given up on it. So I just don't see a real effort happening that could be squashed by anything else that's happening. I think it, I well, think so they you, lied so you, to so us. You, so you're saying BBB was the effort that yes. couldn't get over the hill and now it's dead. Yes. So it's like you can't really put so the brakes was, on something dead, they're not doing. It was doing. dead at the beginning of inflation. <laughs> yeah, it was already over before this whole inflation thing became a story. So it's... Yeah, exactly. Like, how can you slam the brakes on a car that's been parked and has no wheels? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, no, I don't. I mean, and which is probably worse, right? Like, it would be a better story to hear that they were doing something and like, oh, we've hit a hiccup. But like, that's not the way I see it. We were this close to fusion. We just needed another week for fusion power. (laughs) Yeah, no. Uh, Heaton, what else do you think inflation either is or has killed? Um, gosh, savings? That's, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> savings. Like I've been trying, I have been trying Justin to save money to buy a house. I, I don't currently have the ability to buy a house and yeah. I'm, I'm looking at my bank account going, that's just losing 8% a year, isn't it? 8.5% or whatever it is. Um, oh, by way of, by way of inflation, by way of inflation. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I- inflation is, um, particularly when it's achieved by not me. I pre-bought all my meals in 2005 (laughs) until the grave. Well, yeah, this is one of the things I think people forget is that like, I mean, inflation sucks for everybody, but it really sucks for people at the bottom. Oh, it it is. It is a regressive tax. It's regressive. Like, you know who it helps, uh, who who can benefit from it. First of all, people that are getting the injections of cash into the economy from the fed, uh, because they're, they're the, if, if you imagine like a, a rock falling into a pond and the ripples coming out, you want to be at the center of that that ripple because you're you're dealing with you get the money before it sk- spreads out to the economy. But then there's an additional thing you get to do, which is if you've got salaried employees who are earning thirty thousand dollars a year and you're starting to charge more for your prices because inflation's gone up, but you're not paying your employees anymore. You just got discounted on all of the labor that you're purchasing this year in your company. So if you were a salaried individual, you are effectively losing your income. You you you've been demoted in terms of your salary through this. Um, and yeah, savings people have um, it. It goes all over the place. Yeah. As someone that I know recently was like, I'm so excited. I got a 3% raise. And I'm like, oh, so you got a 5% pay cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. It is uh, really, really, really remarkable how much I think there is a disconnect. There, there was a moment like, hey, we are entering into this realm of uh, its opposite day for my political opponents. Like whatever my political opponents are for, mm. I am immediately and reflexively Ref- against yeah. to, oppositional to comical, thinking, yeah. to comical levels. And you saw this on the right with like the Ukraine thing where it's like, all right, look, Russia just invaded Ukraine. Like I was a skeptic, too. No, that's a bad thing. We can all agree. But no, stop it. Bad. Get the hose and spray them down until they knock it off. Uh <laughs> And then, you know, some people on the right, just because like, I don't know, all the wrong people were talking about this Ukraine thing. So now I don't trust it. It's Mm -hmm. like stupid, just dirt. Oppositional thinking is not a good way to run a political system of just I hate whatever you love and I'm going to vote for whatever you like. And I'm going to. Yeah, this is not a good thing. But this showed up and I think it's among its most ghoulish forms with the inflation stuff when 
you saw some people, and this was on the left, uh, being like, well, I'm I'm proud to pay that extra money in gas because uh, uh, of Putin's price hike. Uh, uh, I'm 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 okay to do it. And it's like you do understand that effectively you are just rubbing it in the nose of people who are really, really, really hurting because they have to drive a significant amount of of, of mileage to go to a job that doesn't pay them near as much as you, George Takai. <laughs> like, uh, uh, and these same exact people who have been empowered, who just did a massive infrastructure bill, did absolutely nothing to make it easier for us to get around without a car. So there's also that. Like, hmm. we have to. I, I I get annoyed with people that you know, need to have their big trucks and are addicted to fossil fuels. But at the same time, if we don't have the infrastructure like they have in other parts of the world to allow someone to take the bus to work or have another option, if it is your only choice, then you're screwed. Yeah, we're going to need can to can invade, I, can I invade say, Iraq again for the oil again. <laughs> yeah. I, I drive a van. <laughs> can I also say that uh, Jen, unironic uh, a bus aficionado. I love the bus. She loves the bus. She she is she is uh, uh, on the uh, uh, the bus grid. She uh, I was like, oh yeah, everybody hates taking their laundry on the bus. She's like, not me. I'll I'm do for it. it. She loves it. So so she is she is she practices what she preaches when she says uh, uh uh you know public transportation. I get a lot done on the bus. I really do. It's passive transportation. So I'm constantly listening to hearings or podcasts or you know if I'm on Instagram talking to people like that's all time where I'm in commuting. But when I was driving, that was just lost time. Like even if I was You could listen to a podcast. And I call. can, but think about what I do for a living. I clip hearings and stuff. Oh, so what okay. I have to yeah. do is at least take a screenshot every time mm. I hit a timestamp that I want to go back and get. Like I can't like I will crash my car. So just I have a lot of faith in your driving and editing abilities. I think you should yeah. give it a risk. <laughs> well roll those dice. I have. <laughs> you, you've crashed your car? No, I'm actually I'm a really good driver, but I've definitely like I kind of mastered the skill of listening to a hearing and like clicking the screenshot really quick, but it's definitely not safe. Not supposed to do it. Pretty sure it's illegal in California. But the point is, like, I, I did that, by the way, with all of um, my wife may or may not be listening because she's downstairs. But uh, <laughs> when we were moving out here, I drove uh, in our in our RAV4 and I had our, like all of our worldly belongings in the back of it, but I was also working on world's greatest con. And so I'm listening to this thing and I was doing exactly that. I was screen grabbing everything and then trying to voice dictate why I had screen grabbed the thing. Uh, it was and also I didn't wait until I was out of like Phoenix. So I'm like driving through like a metropolitan highway system doing it. It was unsafe. It it's, was an unsafe thing to do yeah. with all of in, in a fairly new car with all of our worldly possessions in the back. Yeah. And I keep masturbating and that's also <laughs> really unsafe. You, you know? can also do that on a bus. I, I, yeah, like it's, <laughs> it's not productive. I'm threatening lives. <laughs> Uh, so wait a minute. So what would you have liked to have seen in that infrastructure bill in terms of, of public transportation? Because I, oh I, God. I, I think so that, that that's, things. that's a tricky, it's a trickier thing to talk about in America because we have built a very suburban and transient sort of city culture where things haven't been there forever. You don't know exactly where public transportation would do the best. I'm from South Florida where they built a gigantic rail system to connect uh, Fort Lauderdale to Miami and it sucks and nobody uses it. And, and that's, I think the danger of, of where people feel that they were burnt by it in the past. But what, what, what do you think is the smartest solution there? 
So I would really, really like to see our major cities connected by high speed rail or even rail doesn't have to be as fast. It doesn't have to be that fast. The problem that we have now that I think a lot of Americans aren't aware of is that outside of the Northeast, where the schedules are reliable, you can easily go from Boston to D.C. and know exactly what time you're leaving, what time you're going to get there. That's because Amtrak actually owns the tracks. The government owns the tracks. In everywhere else in the United States, we've allowed the tracks to be privatized. And it's there's reasons for that. I mean, we weren't investing in it, so the private companies did. But essentially, they make all their money in freight. And the deal that was made with the U.S. government was they were supposed to prioritize passenger rail, but they never have. And year after year, our transportation transportation committees are told that these companies are not upholding the end of their bargain, and therefore Amtrak can't run on time. That needs to be changed in us in order for us to have passenger rail in this country. We kind of need to have an FAA of the rails just to ensure a fair transportation system. Until that happens, that is the main problem stopping us from having rail. But I've driven back and forth across this country, the whole country, quite a few times. And this whole idea that our places are too far apart to connect rings as BS to me because you can go from L.A. to Vegas to Salt Lake to um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to Butte, Montana. So right now I'm driving in my head. But like there's a bunch of different places that you can connect, especially once you get to you know, um, St. Louis and Nashville. And there's these cities that we drive to here in Texas. Yeah. Dallas, Austin, Houston, Houston, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've been to a few cities where you don't need to have rail. We can have dedicated bus lanes, which gives the flexibility that if this road needs to be closed or if it's icy or whatever, like the buses can go somewhere else, but dedicated bus lanes are working here in the United States. And we do have electrified buses now. None of those investments. Well, I mean, Antrap got the most money in their history, but it's basically enough to repair what we currently have. It's not going to expand all that much. Um, the major investment in alternative to vehicles was not done in this infrastructure bill. I mean, we, it was it, a heavy investment in vehicles. It, Amtrak, what you are suggesting would solve the speed, which sucks yeah. when you are looking at uh, possibly taking a, a rail choice versus a flight choice is that not only... Is it longer than taking a flight often, but it's usually more expensive and, By a I, lot. and I don't know if prioritizing the speed to get there would necessarily change that. Would well, it? It's not prioritizing the speed. It's allowing all the trains to keep their schedules right now. The private freight companies can just tell Amtrak you're going to wait there while our two mile long car is going to, or train is going to go ahead of you. There's also no limit on how long these freight cars are allowed to be. So where you have, it's, it's almost like think about the airports, right? What do you think would happen if we allowed UPS to do air traffic control? Do we really think that Southwest and Delta and American and United, all these passenger flights would be able to keep the schedules that they do if there wasn't a neutral moderator in the sky? So right now, the air traffic controllers being controlled by government, they're controlling the schedule in a fair way for all these different private corporations. That's not what we have in the rails. So Amtrak's problem is not that their trains can't go fast or the the tracks, although the tracks are not maintained that great. Because again, because of this privatization, these private companies are also in charge of the tracks and the tracks are also going to shit. So, um, so when we do invest in our tracks outside of the Northeast, we are also giving money to private corporations that are doing what they want to with it. So it's just unlike airports and interstate highways, 
the the infrastructure itself is privatized. And until we solve that problem, all the things that you would think Amtrak, like, why can't you do this? Why can't you have nicer cars? Why can't they go faster? Why can't you keep a schedule? Why? Like, that's the thing that makes Amtrak so hard because I've taken it from Dallas to Chicago, Chicago, to DC, DC to Miami, just to test it out. And my train was eight hours late coming into Chicago, but it's because we got stuck behind one of these freight trains and there was nothing we could do about it. And so they make these announcements, but Americans don't understand that dynamic. So it's not a problem with Amtrak. It's a, it's a bigger issue. But also there it, it's expensive. That, that That's, that's what I wanted to, but that's why I think about supply and demand. There's one train that goes, Oh, I did it for my episode. It was Dallas, I think to Houston. If you want to go from Dallas to Houston, you can go in that direction I think it's once a week on a Saturday, but you can't go the other way. You can't go from Houston to Dallas. So if you only have one train a week, of course (laughs) it's going to be expensive because that's the only train you've got. Um, There's only one train that goes up and down the California coast. Actually, I think there's physically two, but the coast starlight goes from San Diego to Seattle, Seattle down to San Diego once per day. Of course it's going to be expensive. There's only couple hundred seats max. I, you know, the fascinating thing when my wife and I went to Japan is that they have one of the, the best, most world renowned train systems, both as in a metro level and with the Shinkansen, the bullet train to get further out uh, from Tokyo to other environs in Japan. And the way that they do it is effectively government protectionism of the private rail lines and the private rail companies. They say uh, uh, that you are allowed to buy and own the stations. So the stations are what make the revenue for the companies. And then the, the, that is like the, the honor that they need to fulfill for that is to keep everything running on time and, and, and clean. But that's not a situation. I was shocked because I was, I was going there and expecting as I was looking into it to think, Oh, what a mastermind of government run rail. And it's, really just more government protectionism of private companies, which I think if you tried to sell that in America, the progressive left would be furious about it. It would be it would be the giveaway of all giveaways to to uh, industry barons. Well, and it doesn't have to be a nationalization of the whole system. Like, that's a really good recipe that they've actually talked about in a lot of these hearings where they say we need a nationalization of the tracks themselves. But private companies, you can make all kinds of profit. And they do overseas running the stations, putting restaurants in the stations and in the cars. Uh, private companies can run the the cars themselves. There's a ton of different ways that we can allow the private sector to flourish as long as there's fairness in who goes where. Can, can I, can I ask a clarifying question? Because I, I sure. th- this is where I'm at. I love trains aesthetically. They're my favorite form of transport. Like I, I would I would much prefer to being on a train to being on a bus or a car. That's aesthetically where I am um, when it comes to like politically. Economy, it just looks better when he's on his pocket watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It fits. You were telling me this earlier. Yeah. The most relaxed I ever, ever am is on a sleeper car because I've got yeah. like a lot of type A personality in me. When I'm on a sleeper car, I'm like, I don't know, I'm going 60 miles an hour. I'm in Serbia. I should read a Star Trek novel. I'm just going to take it easy. Right. So I, I like trains. I'm, I, I enjoy them. Um, I do not know, and, and uh, making uh, uh, making policy decisions would be incumbent upon this. Um, do the railroads themselves, these companies, do they make the tracks, or are they utilizing a, a public good? By which I mean, like air, airports are not 
built by the airlines. So it makes sense to me that, yes, we're going to have the FAA uh, run this because you, 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 a private company, are using public infrastructure uh, uh, with the exception of toll roads. Highways are, are and roads are not are, are not run by Ford. They're run by the city because the city built it. Right. So with with railroads, if if um, if a railroad bought a bunch of land from, you know, here through Kansas and then built its own train track, I'm inclined to just let it keep that. But did we build it and then we just gave control to them? No. And that's where it gets pretty sticky, right? Because outside of the Northeast, these private companies did invest in the tracks and they're still required to maintain those tracks. Um, So we would have to, as a government... Think of a fair way to buy them out. Now, what's really interesting is that in the places where they are expanding passenger rail on a governmental level, that's precisely what they're doing. They're buying tracks from the railroads and the railroads are happy to to make these deals because they don't want to do the maintenance anymore. So we're finding piece by piece in different parts of the countries where this is a priority. They are buying those tracks from the private companies in deals that the private companies are okay with. But we're seeing that this system that we've had for so long where they are, you know, private companies buying the land, putting in the tracks, it is being perpetuated. So there's a train that I can't wait to exist that's going to go from the Los Angeles area, roughly, um, to Las Vegas. We've been asking for this forever, but it's a private company that's doing it. It's a private company that got the right of way along our existing highway, but they're they're still putting in the investment. So it doesn't seem fair that then we would then take that away from them. So that's definitely a challenge to this um, that we're going to have to do something about. Um, and, but and, no, we didn't. We and L.A. to Vegas is something that is needed and wanted, considering half of Vegas at any given weekend is from L.A. And anybody who has been stuck in traffic trying to get out of Vegas on a Sunday to drive back to L.A. would <laughs> well, very much like for there to be a train there and back. Hi, hi Middle America here. Just out of curiosity, are, are is anybody wanting us to subsidize your trip to go see Cirque de Soleil? Is that the idea? Like, is this a vital corridor or is it just people going to gamble and, and whore? <laughs> Because I, I don't, that's not, that's not something I want to pay for with public whore? funds. Wow. Yeah. Whoremongering. Gamble <laughs> and whore. That is, that is, like, like if you, like, like, like LA to San Francisco <laughs> makes sense to me, right? There's like, you're, you're commuting. You've got, you've got commerce going on. You've got people traveling. But if it's just like, well, I want to, I want a bullet train to Disneyland. I don't want the public sector to pay for that. That's what I mean. Sure. Except in this case, it involves sex. Well, but wait a minute. Hold on. But you are, you're okay with the idea of a bullet train that is publicly subsidized to go from LA to San Francisco because maybe they're going to read a book when they get there or listen to some beat poetry. I, I but think if, but if, if somebody's if trying to go balls deep while putting it all on black then <laughs> right exactly if if, yeah. you, if you're if, if you're making the if you're making the argument that this is public infrastructure we're using which has a multiplier effect not in terms of semen but in terms of the economy <laughs> that hey this is going to be a 1.8 percent return because it's going to stimulate commerce as opposed to glands but if it's just like <laughs> hey i live in los angeles it would be really cool if you guys paid for me to go on my vacation to, to vegas cheaply i'm like ah, i'm less inclined to help you there plus there's cheap flights the already the funniest thing about vegas and i'm going there tomorrow is that it is among the most unsexy cities on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Like it is, if you are there for a while, like, or any literally longer than 12 hours, like the desire to just be around other humans immediately recedes as you see everybody at their worst. And like, if everybody's given permission to indulge their fantasy, you realize how gross everybody's fantasy is. <laughs> 
uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know. We're going to leave that there. Okay. One more topic. Well, can I answer his question? Yes. Go. I actually do think it's a worthy investment for the government to make because you have a lot of cars spewing fossil fuels the entire time that are going back and forth. The traffic from on Sunday going from Vegas to LA can take you six, seven hours. Like that's all kinds of wasted productivity of people just sitting there doing nothing. Also Mm. a significant majority of them have liquor still flowing through their veins. So it's not exactly safe. So a safety reason going back and forth. There's lots of negative externalities that it could address. Oh my God. So many. And like that is the main corridor out of Los Angeles, there's actually not a Los Angeles surrounded by mountains. Mm. And so that 15 having any other way of getting uh, through God, there, that's not traffic for everybody else in Los Angeles. Absolutely. Yeah. Because big rigs still get stuck in that traffic. Like mm. the, the two Vegas traffic starts on a Friday. So, oh, I mean, early, early, it's I, all I, day. I, I was, I was in, I forget why I was in LA, but I was going to visit friends in, in Vegas. And I thought I was being slick leaving at three o'clock on a Friday. Oh no. And it still took me like, like more than, than two hours than it would normally do to get out of the city and just get, just to get on the highway to, to, to get out to Vegas. And also it's a populist thing. Look, Vegas is, is a populist destination. I'm sick of your I'm slander. Not a, I'm not your, opposed to Vegas. On. I just don't want to fund it for you. Go enjoy yourself. Have fun. Take a private airplane. <laughs> but there are societal said, benefits. JSX is great to Vegas. And also you're subsidizing LA. those airplanes quite a bit too, between air traffic Cut controls and out. airports and... Oh, and I like uh, like like the the governing authority, but I wouldn't be for like just giving coupons to the sex plane. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Are you no fun? That was that was the name of my Epstein investigation. Uh, one last topic: uh, Elizabeth Warren. All right, everybody, we're going to take a break in this show so I can let you guys know that the way you continue to make all of this happen is by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. In fact, if you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, you get two bonus episodes each and every week. If you sign up at the $3 level, man, it's just that simple. Get the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition where I chop up all of the Sunday programs, find out what the narratives that will affect your week are, and the late edition. That is our Thursday edition, the latest that we cover news on this franchise is there. Head on over there right now. Uh, If you're at the $10 level, you get your name read during every free episode of this program, including right now. V-Guard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Level, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Yeo Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, 100 Mile Runner, Edison, Up Down, Up Down, Left Right, Left Right, BA Start, Dr. G, Headphones, Neil, Charles, Darren, Alex, owner of the Stronger Now Gym in Atlanta, Idris Arslanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana Shrill, Shrieks, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Redneck Tech is awesome, David, Brad, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted. Hey, somebody tell Heaton. Utah, Jimmy Montana, The Gen, Adam L, D, Really, Chopper, J Pink, Andrew, and Josh. You want to join their ranks? Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Enough of me yapping. Let's get back to the triad.
quick preamble and then we'll get to the actual topic. Uh, Joe Biden swears that he is running again. He has come out and he has said publicly on multiple occasions that not only is he running, but he might run two or three but, times. But, but Kamala Harris will be his vice president. Good. Couple friend. Things, She's very couple good things happen job. in quick succession. First, there is a scoop and I'm using air quotes here from the Hill that says President Biden told Barack Obama that he's going to run again, Ooh. which is like. Cool. He told me too. Like he was on television <laughs> telling me that he was going to run again. So I immediately put my antennas up. I'm like, okay, somebody's leaking this because they want it to be known that he's running again, which makes me think he's not. Uh, Wait, two days later. Why does that make you think he's not? If why all else would the signs you be over? Why else would you be overproving it? Number one, you can't say that you're not. You can't say that you're not going to run or else you have no power immediately. At that point, the person that is polling the highest that would be the Democratic nominee is more powerful than you. They're going to draw more attention than you. They're going to be uh, cashing in favors uh, and you will not. It's the reason why a lame duck president has about five minutes after their election to do something. And it's usually the most bipartisan thing that they can think of, because for about two and a half years, they have almost no power uh, uh, because all power is future power. And if you're not going to run again, what use are you? Uh, I would rather start currying favor with the next person who is going to take control of things. So you have to, if, and when Joe Biden is going to announce that he's not going to run, it would be after the midterms and it will almost assuredly be a health thing. It'll be, uh, uh, Oh, I had a cancer scare. I don't think I could, I it's, right for me to put the American people in this position. So I am stepping back. That being said, Bernie Sanders then has a memo leaked two days later in which Bernie Sanders campaign director says, uh, you know, he has not ruled out running in 2024. If Joe Biden does not run at which point Elizabeth Warren puts out an op-ed about uh, uh, recalling student debt and then goes on not one, not two, not three, but four different Sunday talk shows so she can talk about her op-ed in which each and every one of them ask her whether or not she is going to run for president so she can say what everybody who's running for president says, I'm not running for president. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, Elizabeth Warren's big point and what would seemingly be the beginning of a campaign, if indeed one does occur, is student loan cancellation. Andrew Heaton, for or against? I'm against that. I think that um, the, the increase in college tuition prices can only partially be explained by a decrease in per-student funding at the state level, which is naturally going to happen anyway because we've been telling everybody they have to go to college for the last hundred years. So as we double the amount of people going to college, yes, the, the amount of uh, funding per person has gone down proportionally, even though state budgets are about where they were prior to the recession in terms of educational output. The actual gap between the tuition and the um, the lack of funding from the states um, is caused by something else. And it seems to me that that is being caused by injections into the educational system of capital where we go, hey, um, college is too expensive. You, we're going to give you a big loan to pay for the college. And then colleges immediately go, 
oh, we want that loan. Uh, here, we'll we'll build. We've, we're going to have a bigger pool. We're going to have uh, we're going to have more administrators that deal with things you like. We're going to have a really cool study abroad program. Come spend your money at our place, and then we're going to raise tuition because of that. And it happens every time we get a new injection of cash, right? So the idea of trying to solve this problem by throwing money at it isn't going to work. And you need to fundamentally rethink how we're going to be funding um, uh, colleges. Now, what I what I would do with her is I do think that it's incredibly unfair and incredibly immoral that a there are uh, universities, quote unquote, um, private private colleges, not all, but some of them, which are predatory and want to suck people in. They get stuck in a degree that doesn't work or it doesn't matter and they don't get out of it. Right. I feel very, very sorry for those people. Um, we also don't allow them to clear bankruptcy like with any other investment. Uh, and that's something that we should we should change. But but otherwise, um, I think the way to handle this would not be to just declare everybody gets all the money. If you were to do that, too, man, Elizabeth Warren would be giving so much money to doctors and bankers and groups like that. Like if you just did summary, everybody gets their money back. Student loans are canceled. That would be the most anti-regressive handoff of cash to upper middle class people that are already making a ton of money anyway. So like a a universal blanket. No, like if we want to come up with a way to help people that are really getting pinched that are at the bottom or that have gotten screwed over by scams, uh, let's work something out there and let's figure out a way to, to, to redo it. But just everybody gets a cash grab. I, 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 I don't like that. I think that that would actually be a big handout to the upper class. And I think that that's kind of cynical. I'm, I'm going to throw bread to the, the masses to get elected. Bryony, do you have student debt? No, I am super privileged that my parents paid for my college, which is also why I've been able to pursue a job like this where I didn't get paid for five years. Um, if I was saddled with basically like a second rent payment, like so many people in my life, there's no way I would have been able to take this risk and have this job. And the thing is that like, yeah, I'm from a white upper class family, but I've also, I was a waitress for 13 years and I have a lot of people in my audience that are not in my position and are still drowning in student debt. They're not looking to get out of it maybe ever. And what I have found, I'm actually, so my answer to like, do I support that policy is kind of complicated because I agree with a lot of what you said um, because I don't think throwing cash at this problem is going to solve anything because it's going to be this one generation that gets money, but all the people that paid off their debt, like those are people that are behind financially and they get no help from this. And then we're still going to be issuing these loans to this generation that are going to rack it up. Like, what are we going to do? Like cancel that too. What I have found is a lot of people are perfectly fine with paying back the money that they borrowed, but the interest rates are so high and predatory on so many of these loans that you're paying back your loans two, three, four times because the interest keeps racking up. What I would like to see is a difference in policy that says like, okay, if this loan is specifically for college, let's call it like a 3% interest rate. I don't know. We can argue about that, but let's just say 3% is the amount. It's capped at 3% and you pay that back plus 3% and you're done. I don't like seeing this interest that keeps coming forever to pay bankers where they've done absolutely no work to earn that money. And I feel like if we are going to forgive anything when it comes to student loans, I feel like forgiving the usury interest. Like If someone's already paid back their full loan, I feel like if all they have left 
is just these racked up interest rates like that should go away. There's, there's a really good plan you might like that, that I'm quite partial to that is um, favored by Purdue University. Um, Mitch Daniels um, talks about this periodically, but um, they've, they've still got federal Pell grants and things because the rates are so low. It makes sense. But one of the things that they're looking to do at Purdue that they are now actively doing is they'll have um, like a, a a private company go, Hey, we'll pay for your college degree. Um, and you're going to pay us 3% of your salary for 10 years. And then we're all done. Um, if you don't get a job because your degree was not useful, you do not have to pay us anything. You're paying us 3%. And at the end of the 10 years, you're done regardless if you paid us out or not. And, and the way the thing ends up working basically is a small portion of people are going to end up paying 3% of a very big income that's going to subsidize other people. Most people are going to more or less justify the investment from them. But the benefit to everybody that's participating in it is if you do get a job like me, uh, where you have a liberal arts degree that is effectively useless the first five years you're out of college and you're not earning very much money, well, you're only earning 3% of that as opposed to what what you're talking about, Jen, where it doesn't matter what your job is, you got to pay that interest rate. It's un- it's unattached to your income, right? And then at the end of that 10 years, you're done. You're absolutely done whether or not you you paid off that capital at all. And I, that to me strikes me as a far better system of Sounds good. funding this. Yay! Uh, I mean, I think there's solutions to this yeah. that aren't just pay off the student loans of the people who are lucky right now. Because isn't that just a bank bailout? Yeah. Isn't that just another bank? Like, Which that, again, that, mostly goes to doctors. It mostly no, no, goes. No, 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 no. I mean, It doesn't. Because if you're going to cancel student fair. debt, right? Either you are telling the banks you are now not allowed to collect on anything. Oh, or, I'm sorry. Yeah, more, yeah, yeah. more realistically, the government is going to negotiate a buyout fee for which yes, we are going yes. to, uh, through the public trust, pay the banks right. uh, yeah. a, a lump sum, a settling lump sum for the outstanding student debt, which is going to be an outrageous amount of money. And, and they would love, they would love because it doesn't solve the actual problem, which is what you said, uh, that you cannot declare bankruptcy on student debt that would be the biggest thing i would vote i would cross any party line that i might otherwise not be in favor of if somebody just came out and said i am campaigning so you can declare bankruptcy on student debt because that would immediately correct a lot of these predatory situations i I suspect if i were a predatory loan company and you wanted to come get a degree that's obviously not going to make you any money i would probably think a lot harder about giving you that money for that useless degree yes if i could if i could declare bankruptcy on it I, i am just dead set against it in that it it seems like a beneficiary for two of the institutions for which I distrust, if not outright loathe the most. One of them's banks and the other's colleges who are basically carnivals that realize they could make more money if they stayed in one city and played football. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And the idea that the government would even bother to negotiate with the banks, like I don't think that's how this would go. The government would just pay those loans regardless of how high or predatory yeah. those interest rates were. So you're paying enormous amounts of interest to the banks. Yes, it would benefit the students. But again, we're only benefiting the students that have the loans right this second. So unless you prevent those people's children from getting the same shitty loans, yeah. then we haven't solved anything. There's there's no there is like a, 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 and, and there's been great reporting. My friend Katie Statchett, the Wall Street Journal, they did a whole expose about like the, the loans that are given out and accepted, if not recommended by some of these colleges, are worse than payday loans in terms of the actual money that are brought in. Like if, if we are going to get upset with with those, and I think we should because they are predatory toward the people that can afford it the least, then then the soaking that happens to middle class families in this country is disgusting when it comes to, to colleges. I agree. Mm-hmm.
And I, you know, this is one of my my big problems with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders is I'm I'm not opposed to having the government do things. I'm not opposed to having it fix things. Uh, I I would like to have a robust social safety net. I don't. I'm not a Darwinian that wants people starving in the gutter. But if you are going to put money towards a problem, I want you to know what's causing the problem. That way, you're actually fixing the problem. And uh, whenever I hear people just kind of like vaguely espouse greed and then throw their hands up in the air, I'm like, you don't understand what the problem is. There's going to be some sort of systemic issue here. Uh, and this is a, a good example. Although in Elizabeth Warren's case, I think she knows what's going on, but I think she knows this is a very popular thing that can get her ahead. Hmm. Almost as if she's beginning a run for president. Almost as if she's beginning a run for president. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Can I just posit one theory with this whole Joe Biden? Yeah, yeah. Around? let's go. It is possible that he keeps saying that he's running for president because so many people are saying that they think he's not running for president. He's just going like, but wait, like, I still want to be president. Like maybe he's still because his ego oh, 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 is no, too no. big to step aside. Trust me, I I am I am of this. It took me a while to get to the position of I don't think he's going to run because I have always been. Uh, I I usually just play the the straight odds and the straight odds always whenever anybody says because Obama initially was like I'm only doing one term like Michelle told me no uh, uh, and it's like no you're not you're going to run for a second term like that's that's always going to happen when people were like oh Trump doesn't really want to be president he's not going to run again of course he's going to run again you don't get that close to power and have and a I, chance I, to I, keep I think it. it's also incredibly addictive like I, I think anybody that is successfully run for office it's all they want to do for the rest of their life is they love campaigning they love the feeling of I, I would love it. I would love the feeling of going into a diner and having every single person coming up and going, I name my baby after you. You're yes. the savior of mankind. This is a great feeling, right? That's why like you like I, I won't mention them, but I know a couple of people that like haven't won an election in about 10 years now. They're still running for office because it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> that being said, when it comes to Biden, I don't know how much in control of the wheel he is compared to a traditional president. And I don't mean that in, in the, in the dementia thing. I mean that more in that Bilderberg group. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that more in, in the idea that it took a lot of institutional force to get him into the white house. And I think that he is indebted to that force. And if that force does not believe he's the guy that can win, they will pull him and put another Another piece in. But that's the missing piece. Yeah. Who? Oh. Who's this person that's so good that Joe Biden is going to step aside? I think you're going to have to weaken at Biden's this guy to get him to even think about giving up the throne. Like he could be drooling on himself and incapable of functioning and he will still run because he's Joe Biden. I just don't think that there's any way not, that he not would to get all house of cards here, but like, uh, uh, you know, there are, there are ways of, of, of shuffling him off the stage, not killing him, not, not, not <laughs> but like there are scandals or, or things that like, what, what if his tenable? son had like a laptop that had had some damning information. <laughs> now, hopefully social media would snuff that out like right when it happened, because it would be obvious fake news. I I just don't see it I, unless we had someone who was obvious and amazing. Like if there was a Barack Obama, cause you remember when he got famous in that speech and we all just like, Oh, there aren't red States or blue States. We're all yeah. just, I love you. Yeah. If there was that guy waiting in the wings, I could see this happening, but mayor Pete ain't going to do it. So who's the person? Number one, stunning homophobic uh, comments at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Number two, Glad I didn't say my Kamala Harris line. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, uh, no, it's Pete. It's Pete. What? Yeah. 
Who loves or, Pete or Buttigieg? Kamala. Or Kamala. And I, they're going to pretend that he's Obama. If, if, if I could channel my inner Justin Robert Young pretend. here, because I, yeah. I directly plagiarized this from Jury. Um, traditionally, Trump's a big exception to this, but traditionally, Republicans have a runner-up uh, a seniority status thing, right? So like uh, McCain loses to Bush, he's the next nominee. Romney had left, lost to McCain, he's the next nominee. So the Republicans have this very orderly elder statesman. We've kind of all agreed, right? Whereas the Democrats like the king killer. They like the they like the shot out of the dark. They like they like the feeling of holy shit. Like no, this is this is different. The wheel is breaking, right? So Mayor Pete, I think, could be that guy of like he's twenty eight. And gay or whatever he is. I don't know. Yeah. And like, and like, like, wow, this is who? Th- no, really, society's going to change this time. Or at least they're going to sell it like that. Yes. But we've I don't been think, inter- I don't think it's actually like that. I do think that they're going to do their best to sell it like that. But we've been introduced to Mayor Pete quite a few times now. America knows him. We have not fallen in love with him. No. I just I, 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 I see and, him and, being the guy. I, so wait, I fell but, but out of you're, talk, you're talking about the guy, uh, the current president who ran for office three times before and couldn't win a single state until he won South Carolina. And then everybody else in the moderate lane dropped out because he was so inevitable. True. And that's why I think having that guy step aside for someone else who was on the same stage, I just don't, I don't buy it. Number one, I think there would be an open primary. I mean, like, I I don't think that there would be anyone anointed. I think it would be open. Nobody's going to step aside for Kamala. Uh, So it would be an actual primary. And then we would see who emerges from it. But I do think that the institutional front runner would be Pete. I think Biden's running. I I don't have a single doubt in my mind about it. All right. I think it'll run. Should we bet another beer? Yeah. You already owe me one. I'll bet you both beers. Okay. All right, cool. I'm, I'm, You're going to end I'm up gonna getting me real Biden, drunk. Biden will run is my bet. I, again, I, I think... I just have. Uh, I'm not saying he'll do it competently. No, I'm not no, saying no, no, that he'll no. even know he's running. He's no. just going to agree to do it. I just, I just, I don't know how much of this is his choice. I, I, but I, who's choice? Like... He wakes up every day and he's like, can I please quit? And his wife's like, no, you have to remain president. Well, let, let me put it this way. In electoral politics, like LBJ uh, did not run again because he saw Bobby on the horizon. He flamed out in New Hampshire, I think. Who? LBJ. Didn't he, didn't he do so poorly in New Hampshire? Yeah, yeah. But even yeah. then, he'd been threatening to quit for... I mean, he, he threatened to quit before uh, uh, 1964. So this is in 1968 that he didn't run again. He's also going against a Kennedy whose brother had just been shot. We all loved him. Camelot. That whole thing. We don't have that guy. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, there is a death knell to a... Especially a president that does not have great favorability ratings right now having a credible challenger. Like if you as the sitting president, like normally the sitting president clears the field, everybody genuflex. If you, let's say that the powers that be at, at the DNC or the powerful donors that, that have influence at the DNC are like, we can't win with Biden running Biden right now. Whereas his real clear politics average uh, uh, is currently in the, either the low forties or high thirties. Uh, he is underwater with independence. He is underwater with Hispanics. Uh, uh, and, and we're about to have a red wave election where things are probably going to get worse for him. Uh, we cannot run him. We need some kind of reset button. This has been bad. We need some kind of reset button. And Biden's like, no joke. I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm running like I didn't wait all my life and uh, 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 buy my son that laptop for me to not run again. It only takes uh, one of those big donors saying, OK, well, we're going to fund the Pete campaign. We're going to fund the 
uh, Kamala is going to resign and we're going to fund her campaign. And now you're in a three way race and you are by the numbers, the least popular among them. So now do you want to quit? Like that, that's normally that would be a fun like news work. week, by the way. That would be a really interesting. Well, a lot table. of this would all happen at, you know, I don't yeah. know, some country club or, right. or, or, you know, whatever, uh, uh, some campaign stop. But like that, would Joe, be, Joe Biden announced he's going to spend more time with his train set in the basement. I, and, I mean, look, and he's uh, just decided to step aside because that's the other thing is like, do you want to be hailed as a hero forever? Because guess what? We're going to make the DNC all about you and we're going to make it all about your legacy of service. And you're going to get to be I, I've, I'm the, uh, I you can't bet on this in Vegas, but I would bet that cancer is the excuse. I don't know why. I just feel like it's going to be a cancer thing. You get to be the cancer. They, you are now the Jimmy Carter of cancer. Like like you are you are going to be uh, out. There. Jimmy Carter. That's who I'm rooting for. When when Joe Biden steps down and they're like, who else has executive? Exp- I mean, Barack Obama's in two terms. He can't. Jimmy Carter steps into the ring. Yep. He younger did the long con. He did, is he younger than Biden? <laughs> no, I don't okay. think so. But it's close. They're like they're like uh, uh, contemporary. I'm pretty sure Jimmy Carter's in his like late 90s and like I would seriously consider backing Jimmy Carter. He's already dealt with inflation. He deregulated a bunch of stuff like uh, like Carter versus Biden. I'd vote for Carter. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, all right. I couldn't look up Jimmy Carter's age in time. Uh, Jen, it's old. It's very what old. Do you, yeah. What do you have? Uh, what do you have cooking on Congressional Dish? Um, I'm still working my way through the infrastructure law. And so I think the next episode is going to be about vehicle safety and just the heavy investments that we've put into vehicle infrastructure. I'm going to give people details on exactly why I said And you that. just did a big thing on the post office, right? I did. Congress actually saved it, which was kind of amazing. Um, in 2006, in one of those bills that no one read right before Christmas, there was a requirement that the post office or the postal service has to pre-fund all of their retirees. So like if you're 20 years old, they had to pre-fund their retirement and it was saddling the postal service with billions of dollars um, of essentially debt, but it wasn't real debt because it was a ridiculous requirement. Yeah. And for 16 years, they were told you need to repeal this thing. And so that and a few other things got done in this law. So I tell some of those stories, but it's a really good law for a change. So yay, Congress did a thing. Good news on Congressional Dish. What about you, Heaton? Uh, I just did a really fun one. I'll tell people to go check out uh, on uh, with with uh, Bacha Unger Sargon, who you should have on. She's delightful. Bacha is wonderful. Uh, Bacha and I get along like a house on fire. She is a goddamn Marxist, like a full on, full blown Marxist. We get along real well, uh, despite all of my neoliberal pretensions. And uh, she wrote a book um, about her theory that um, wokeness, political correctness is largely a corporate plot that it's basically the elites distracting everybody to stay in power. And turns out we largely agree on this. And it was a, a real fun conversation about the nature of journalism and uh, a, a uncanny example of a, a Marxist and a pretty free enterprise person uh, getting along Agreed. well and, and coming yeah. to the same conclusion. So I'd, I'd say check out The Political Orphanage and listen to that fun conversation. Sure that it, it, it has well. been described as a very awkward date uh, by many of my listeners. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that uh, that that uh, her book uh, uh, went over well at the Black Lives Matter mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, that's it. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week. I have no idea who the guests are. Uh, bye, bye, bye. Yes.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.